0: Spider 2Y banana.
1: There's a beautiful banana.
0: Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, coaching search time, tracking airplanes time, trying a podcast through FaceTime time, whatever time of day it is. It's the right time. For the Go 247 24-7 podcast, Wes Rucker, alongside Grant Ramey. Actually, I say alongside Grant, but you're not really... But not really. Yeah, Grant, I- I'm here in the Fort Rucker studio. Grant Ramey is at the uh, Go Govals 24-7's Blount County headquarters. Satellite office. In the, the satellite office there. It's our Blunt County Bureau. Grant, how, how's the weather over there in, in, in Maryville? Is it like it is here in Knoxville?
1: Uh, I think so. It's kind of like... Uh... Feels like Dunder Mifflin-Scranton and Dunder Mifflin-Utica or Dunder Mifflin, uh, where were the other
0: branches? Let's see here. There were a few of them. Now I don't remember. But there were several Dunder Mifflin ones. And Utica.
1: I'm, I remember Utica, Buffalo. Um,
0: but anyway, yeah, and, that's and what the, it feels like. And the corporate office was in, you know, Manhattan. That's right. Which sort of, you know, I guess Knoxville is sort of the uh, Manhattan of the uh, Knoxville metropolitan area. So we'll go with that. Grant, it's been a really interesting week, obviously, for Tennessee. Uh, we're, we're coming to you. This is our, our normal Friday morning podcast. We're recording this on Thursday night, so I'm mentioning that because things change so quickly always when it comes to you know coaching searches and stuff. But as, as of the time we are recording this, what, what's the uh, what's the latest that, that we've got here? We've got John Gruden being a candidate for the position. I think we all know that, that things will not, matriculate into uh, him accepting the position or anything like that. But Tennessee, at least it seems to be making a much better effort this time to, to get OMG John Gruden.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, as we reported, what was that Thursday afternoon? Uh, As of Wednesday night, it was a, it was said by a bunch of people, a bunch of people that we trust. uh, Obviously uh, we put our name on it. So those are people we trust that uh, Curry and some other uh, big time UT kind of movers and shakers were in Tampa uh, kind of giving their pitch to Gruden and saying, here's what's on the table. Um, you have a certain amount of time to either accept or decline what's on the table. And uh, if it's a no, we'll move on. If there's a, uh, if, if he comes back with something, maybe they counter whatever, I don't know, negotiate a little bit. But it seems like there's been a deadline put in place. Uh, maybe sometime this weekend, you may give him through the weekend or something like that. But it's uh, it's a deadline if he says no. Uh, It feels like they kind of start targeting Dan Mullen and and maybe go from there. But yeah, it's a a completely different story than 2012 when it seemed like Tennessee didn't have its ducks in a row when it came to all the John Gruden stuff. But what's important to note here is we didn't report anything about where John Gruden was leaning, uh, if he was going to the job, leaning towards taking the job or uh, leaning towards not taking the job. All we're trying to report, all we tried to report Thursday is the pitch is there. It's his to accept if he wants it. It's his to decline if he wants to, and Tennessee will move on. Uh, but it's there, and, and Tennessee's making that effort. They are they are making him say no, it feels like, before they do something else. Now, all the p- plane tracking and everybody in Knoxville freaking out about that plane that was coming back from uh, Tampa that stopped in Atlanta. I don't know where that came from. We never mentioned anything about a plane. I don't think anybody was uh, should have thought that John Curry was going to step off in broad daylight and and do his business like that. He's more savvy. Uh, than that. you got to give him credit for that. He's going to do things uh, close to the vest and, and not reveal it to the public. So that's kind of where things stand right now, or at least that's where we, we feel like they stand, even though some people are saying that's not the case.
0: Here, Here's where I, I'm admittedly kind of torn on this, because I can't quite tell. It feels like this is a more serious kind of pitch by Tennessee. It feels like that. Now, that doesn't mean that it is one, but – I don't know why, but it just feels a little more, a little different from the way it did five years ago. I don't know if that's because Tennessee's making a more serious offer or push here or if Tennessee's actually you know, doing something different or if the program's in a different shape now so he would consider it more. I, this is where, where I'm admittedly trying to fill in the blank here is that it, it feels like this is still going to end up a no, but it feels to me a little more serious than it did five years ago.
1: Yeah, I think it's this time around. I mean, maybe once you have struck out again on a guy like Butch Jones, who you you paid a pretty good amount of money $4 million a year, a uh, year, and he couldn't take that next step. I think maybe they feel like uh, they felt like before they couldn't miss in twenty twelve. You can't miss on this guy again after missing on Dooley and, and missing on Kiffin. But now it's obviously it's it's compounded a little bit. You <laughs> you can't miss again this time. Uh, you, you have to be willing to pay the market value for an elite candidate if you feel like there's interest there. Uh, if you feel like there's mutual interest there and go after him, I think maybe that's why it feels more serious because Tennessee's ready to uh, to pay a substantial amount of money for a football coach and, and try to get some return on investment. I mean, I think Saban pulls down in the range of $11 million when you count all the money from all the different places. Uh, that's worth every penny for Alabama, and then some enrollment's never been higher. Uh, they've never had more success than what they're having at Alabama right now. Maybe t- Tennessee's trying to build that, scenario and maybe they feel like John Gruden is the guy that can do that even if they feel like maybe he's not leaning towards taking the job they're going to make him say no first and that's the that's the important thing from our end I think our entire staff has been pretty clear from the beginning that we didn't think it's a likely scenario I still don't think it's a likely scenario I think
0: yeah, we agree there
1: I think he's coming back uh, to coach in the NFL if he does come back to coach at all and I wouldn't be stunned if if he's using this interest in Tennessee, this flirting with this Tennessee job, to uh, force the hand of an NFL GM and say, if, "If you guys aren't interested, I'll go coach this college job and, and 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 do my thing there." So maybe he's, you know, that's that's one way it makes sense in my head. I don't know. I'm, I'm not obviously not John Gruden or anyone close to him. Uh, but we'll see what plays out. It certainly seems like Tennessee is is doing everything in their effort to to make this guy say no.
0: Yeah, and I don't know what it is about this sort of situation with this particular school and this particular coach that, you know, we obviously cover Tennessee and and we know where our bread's buttered and that's where we spend most of our our time and attention. But uh, I, we also look across the country in, in college football and you know in the SEC and other big conferences and. You know, we look for sort of where things are going. We look at trends, you know, things that are working, things that aren't. Just kind of trying to get a map of everything that's going on. And there's really nothing in all of college sports that is anything quite like this whole John Gruden, Tennessee thing. I know that Michigan and Harbaugh kind of felt like that, but that wasn't, you know, several consecutive times the job came open. That, that, it, there's nothing to me. And I don't know what it is about this, but maybe it's just, you know, he does have some ties there. He, he, he doesn't hide the fact that he has a, an affinity for Tennessee. His wife was a cheerleader there. You know, they do own land here. His, his family or his son is a student at UT. There's just so many connections here that I don't know that there's anything like the pressure Tennessee faces. I don't know if anyone else has that pressure of this particular school and this particular coach. Am I wrong in thinking that? Or, you know, because it's easy for us to sometimes – you know, think about the world that we live in and not, you know, kind of the outside looking in. And, and But I still can't think of anything quite like this other places. No, I think it's
1: completely uh, 100% a one-off scenario. Uh, what makes it so unique is he's been out of the game since 2008. I mean, it's hard to remember why he was fired at Tampa Bay. Obviously, they didn't win enough. That's the bottom line in the, in the NFL. But nobody's really thinking about the stuff that went wrong in 2008, whatever that was. Uh, you add into that, the personality he is on Monday night football, uh, how he's one of the most, uh, I mean, it's, it's easy for people to hate announcers and broadcasters and go after them publicly all the time, uh, on social media. Everybody loves Gruden. Everybody loves his insane energy. Uh, his just kind of wackiness, uh, just the kind of way he's just a, just a football guy in the booth. And, uh, he's got the office and in, in Tampa and he's there at three thirty in the morning or whatever time he gets there. And he's always breaking down film and and doing the quarterback camp stuff, that's why it feels so weird because he makes $6 million a year doing what he's doing, and it's probably a whole lot easier than trying to be a successful SEC football coach. Uh, You add to that every, I think this is the 25th opening since uh, Alabama hired Saban. I think I saw somebody tweet that. I mean, the number one thing in your mind is, can your hire be competitive with Nick Saban because he sets the bar so high? Obviously, Tennessee wants to win the East and get back to Atlanta and and do that, take that step first. But the the end game is how is this guy going to play with Saban? And I think people draw the parallels to Alabama got Saban out of the NFL and you see what happens. Well, this guy, I mean, Saban wasn't even successful in the NFL. And here you have Gruden, uh, Super Bowl champion, uh, won a couple conference titles, won a bunch of division titles, uh, was about 16 games over 500 in the NFL. That's not easy. And you add on to that how beloved he is, it seems like, in the football community across all levels, uh, all his connections to UT. I mean, he helped him with the quarterback camp in 2014. Uh, he was on the sideline for the Outback Bowl New Year's Day 2016. He was in Neyland Stadium uh, a month ago for that South Carolina game. So it, it's su- such a unique, unique situation. And it's a really tough spot for Tennessee because they can't say, we didn't go after him at all. You don't want to admit that publicly because you'll get buried for that. Yep. Uh, but you also don't want to say publicly that we uh, went to this guy first and he turned us down because that puts the guy, whoever gets hired ultimately, if it's not John Gruden, uh, in a bad spot and kind of behind the eight ball from day one. So it's a it's a crazy, unique situation. Uh, it's given me a headache for a solid week now, yeah. and uh, I can't wait
0: for it to be over. Yeah, he does kind of have that, that vibe of, Almost like you know, Dickie V is with basketball. Just that he has so much passion and energy for what he's doing and for the game that people just seem to love him. And and certainly, it seems like there's more anti-Dickie V people than anti-Gruden people. Even you know, it just seems like football people just love the guy, and I understand why. And and you were talking about the the whole Saban thing, and you know what Saban's done to this league a little bit. It's almost like one of those uh, one of those old. Uh, like the uh, those old middle like medieval battle movies or war movies where it's like, we'll take your best guy against our best guy, and if that, you know, we'll go biblical on this, and, and whoever wins that one wins the whole thing because you're always looking for that coach who can stare Saban in the face and a guy who can go out there toe-to-toe with him and make his guys feel like he can beat them and, and beat that team, beat that team of ginormous robots and – it, it, it's sort of like you, you feel like there's almost a cult of personality with the coach to the point where you have to get somebody who can do that. And Saban's not going to be around forever, but he's certainly around right now. And Alabama is certainly not doing anything but staying exactly where it is, which is at or near the top of college football. And it's sort of killing the rest of the SEC, but that's where it is right now. You know, if you want to be the best right now in college football, you got to go beat that guy. And, and the list of people who've done that's not a very big one.
1: Yeah, and I think there's, maybe this is crazy, but there's there's a certain caricature of John Gruden that everybody thinks of. And this guy is is NFL born and bred. And what does what everybody complain about the NFL? It's so vanilla. Uh, it's the same six plays over and over, people like to say. It's, it's very uh, kind of emotionless football. There's not the pageantry and tradition and stuff of college football. I mean, what if you take this guy, John Gruden, that's known for, uh, just being so crazy and out there, and and full of energy and uh, emotion and passion. What if you drop him into uh, a, a place like Tennessee, where the the tradition is insane, the pageantry is insane, the fan base is obviously insane, based on how they track these coaching searches? Uh, I mean, imagine that guy coming down the hill for the vault walk and all that stuff. It, it would be insanity, and maybe it would be uh, the energy and and the kind of the the shot into the program needed. Uh, to compete with uh, the elites of college football because it's obviously uh, Nick Saban sets the bar until he until he retires. The SEC will change 180 degrees when Nick Saban retires just because it's going to change the entire landscape. So you better figure out a way to uh, compete with him now because it doesn't look like he's going anywhere and, and maybe uh, people believe John Gruden can
0: do that. Yeah, it's kind of like what what would the ocean be like without you know orcas or great white sharks or something? What if you take an apex predator kind of out of the situation? It, it it sort of throws everything into a into a loop. But yeah,
1: I mean, unless they go and hire Dabo, it's going to be uh, I, I don't I don't envy Alabama trying to move on whenever the saving does.
0: Yeah, I would never. It's like it's like the the position Holly Warlick's in. Why would you do it? Just why would yeah. you put yourself through that? You no matter what you do, you cannot do it as well as the guy who did it before you. And you need you need to at least have a buffer in there, kind of a Switzerland in between. You know, when you go out there and 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 be that guy because you're you're destined to fail because nothing you do more than likely will be able to surpass that. But but here's where I'm. I don't know if concern's the right word here, but my my alarm certainly or or, or my guard is up on this. I, I I think Tennessee fans, I don't want this to become a deal where, and I know it will with some uh, because there's just some people who are just going to be like this. But I'm talking about the kind of collective, the majority, you know, the silent majority of people. Will there be a coach out there that they can get behind whose name is not John Gruden, or do they feel like, anything but this is just an absolute failure and that it's destined to fail and that Tennessee will be a joke because I think there are really good football coaches out there Uh, maybe it's not just the greatest year uh, to to be out there on the market because there's going to be there's not a a ton of really big kind of names out there and there's going to be a lot of SEC programs who need coaches so you know Tennessee's going to be kind of in in, in a big mess here but there are good coaches out there and I I would hate to see a really good coach come in here and not get a chance because his name isn't john gruden
1: yeah it's it's gonna i mean the the silent majority is is silent for a reason you're not gonna know what they're thinking uh, as this stuff's unfolding uh the the vocal minority is gonna be uh it's not gonna be a good day when uh it is off the table uh whenever that happens if it happens uh another thing having nothing to do with gruden. Whoever gets hired is following Butch Jones. And Butch Jones, for the flaws that that cost him his job over the last 12 months, whatever, uh, he was a good salesman. He was a good marketing guy, a good salesman. He could spend stuff uh, when it came to recruiting, when it came to getting energy uh, back in the fan base, belief, uh, enthusiasm there. The problem is people bought the bill of goods he was selling for four and a half years. Uh, when Tennessee was five and zero, it looked like everything was on track last season, uh, and everything falls apart in the 2017 season. Is what it is. the The guy that steps to that podium to accept the job, nobody's going to buy a word he says, until he starts showing it on the. You're not going to be able to sell his fan base anything because it's been sold stuff for the last five years, uh, and it didn't. It didn't turn out to be what it was said to be. So that's another thing. It, it's not just Gruden, and if Gruden falls, you know, and it doesn't work. Uh, not that like you're following all the hype train. That you're following the guy that that sold it as much as anyone is ever going to sell it. Didn't work out.
0: Yeah, what I keep thinking is, you know, y- you look at this, and, and the guy who replaces the previous guy is always different in some way that's usually needed, and and that helps the fans. And and athletic directors know this kind of stuff because the narrative when Fulmer was kind of in his, Philip was in his, you know, sort of declining years that there performance-wise, was that Tennessee was stale and had too many, you know, was kind of inbred with the coaching staff, and they needed some new ideas, some new energy, somebody younger, somebody more innovative. And what did they do? They went out and got Lane Kiffin, who was completely different, and people really bought in at first because he was different. Um, but then after Lane Kiffin left after one year and leaves this whole trail of just nastiness behind him, you go, oh, no. Uh, you need someone, you know, some of that stuff Philip did with knowing the SEC and, and the accent and the whole, the way he was and understood the league and all that. Maybe someone with kind of Southern values, that would be good. So then you get Derek Dooley in there and he does that and people really buy in at first. Uh, but then with the end of the Derek Dooley era, you have all this negativity and him saying all these things about, you know, the, him just being dead level honest all the time about players, whether it was good or bad. And if someone was bad, he would go, oh, that guy sucked. And so you want somebody to say, oh, he's beating down the players. You need more of an energetic guy. You need a positive guy. And Butch Jones comes in and he does that, and people buy in. So now, on on one hand, it feels like, well, you can't really fool these people again. But on the other hand, they keep finding ways to do that. So uh, whoever they get, maybe he will after a couple of hours of the whole, oh, it's not John Gruden, yada, yada, yada. Then Tennessee will start spinning it, and he'll come out and have his press conference, whoever he is, and he'll probably do a good job, and and maybe people will move on. So I, I don't know exactly how I feel about this because I, I've said before that, you know, they're going to make this guy prove it. And, and you know what? Tennessee fans are so loyal, by God, they usually don't make you prove it at first. So I don't know exactly how they're going to react to this guy. I just know that the quicker Tennessee – can either one hire John Gruden which we probably know is not happening or two make sure everybody understands that they made their best pitch to Gruden and he didn't want it and they got to go find somebody else and unless they do like the sooner that they can do one of those two things the quicker they can actually start build, rebuilding this program and that's why this whole thing is so fascinating to me because I don't know exactly with a guy like Butch Jones how do you repl- what what's the the kind of the polar opposite of him is it someone who is just completely honest all the time, and someone who will just be really direct with his answers, and will call a spade a spade if that's what it is. What, what what's the what's the opposite of Butch Jones?
1: Well, right now it's Rick Barnes. Yeah, uh, Rick, Rick. When when you've won six hundred games in college basketball and, and you've been to the tournament uh, as many times as he has, I know there's a lot of people that are upset with the way he recruits at Tennessee and. And thinks this isn't the same guy. And he's he's not trying to compete, uh, but he's as brutally honest as any coach you'll meet. There's there's not a there's not a filter between his brain and his mouth when he's in front of a microphone, yes. and he gets away with that because uh, he has the resume and that he does and the history of player development and, and sending players to the league. Uh, that's that's kind of one mold of a coach you can look at. Um, I mean, people talk about Dan Mullen. Uh, one thing you can say about Dan, even if you're not in that camp. He's been in the league for nine years. Uh, he's been in the SEC West for nine years. and He's, what, 25 games over 500 or something at, at Mississippi State, and he doesn't have the best record against ranked teams or SEC record, all that stuff. But uh, the guy knows the lay of the land. Uh, I'm sure he's the last person on the planet that's insecure about his coaching abilities, given that what he's done for the last decade or so. Uh, or people talk about Gary Patterson. That's another established coach that's uh, been to Rose Bowls and, and won 11, 12 games in the season and all that stuff. Uh whoever it is you better be pretty established Uh and you better be worrying about your resume a whole lot more than than what's said at a press conference because I mean at, at the intro press conference on December 7th 2012 Butch had a big spiel about how he's thick-skinned and doesn't hear the outside noise and uh, he came from <laughs> Cincinnati a pro town so I mean it doesn't matter what's said in that press conference because everybody's feeling great about it uh, there's new hope in the building there's uh, you're resetting that clock, but it's just such a perfect storm of you better get this right because this is the fourth coach since 20, 2008. Is that right? Number four?
0: Yeah. Be the fifth coach in a decade, I think.
1: Fifth coach I mean it's 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 a perfect storm of you gotta get it right because it's the fifth coach in a decade. Uh it's a really proud football program with a really proud fan base uh that is sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh they're tired of this decade of just awful, awful football, the lowest. Probably this football program's ever been in terms of a, a decade straight, and you have a athletic director that does have a Tennessee pass, but he's only been on the job as athletic director since April first
0: yeah and, and you've got to you know I, I think what I really like and and we'll have I'm sure another podcast or two before this thing actually ends, knowing the way that these things. Uh, tend to go in some situations. I, I, you know, and, and the fact that there's two more weeks left in the regular season of college football three, if you include the uh, the championship games, the conference title games, y- you know, uh, but I will mention again the thing that I really like about Mullen is people who talk about his record, and I'm not saying I disregard that record because I don't think that's right. You know you are what your record says you are. Uh, I believe Bob Knight was correct about that, but or or Bill Parcells or, or both, whichever one, whichever one it was those crusty old mean white guys who said that it, you know that was that was right. Uh, And but but you can't act like every situation is the same. You know, the SEC East has been so mediocre in, in general for the past decade or so. The SEC West has been a machine. It's been really good. It's always had at least one and sometimes maybe three or so national title contenders in the same division in the same year. And Mullen has the worst job in that division and yet consistently does a pretty good job there and makes those teams competitive. And he's going into these things with short stacks. I mean, he's going into gunfights with knives all the time. And he's out there getting results usually and, and getting the team competitive. And if you give a guy like that the resources of a place like Tennessee with the way he can develop quarterbacks and offenses, you know, he could maybe win big and and I think that's not the biggest stretch in the world but there are people who will say that they want a bigger name and and okay that's fine I understand that but to me if they walk out of this whole thing and they have a Dan Mullen with them I think that's a hell of a good hire I really do
1: here's what I equate it to and I don't want to disrespect Mississippi State in the least but it feels like James Franklin proved himself at Vanderbilt. That's a good coach doing good things at a place that's really difficult to win at. Yes. He goes to Penn State, and he kind of flexes his muscles in terms of what he can do as a coach. Obviously, the last few weeks haven't went the way uh, they had planned, but they were up to, what, number two in the polls, uh, had a big lead at Ohio State, and and seemed like they were about to go do some good things. Uh, Obviously, already played in a Rose Bowl. It feels like if Dan Mullen— and I. I don't know, Mississippi State fans would not uh, be happy hearing that comparison. But if he went from from Mississippi State to Tennessee, that is a step up in terms of, I mean, just the job. The
0: The history, the the tradition, the facilities, the money, the town, everything, everything,
1: everything that that is a step up. And the SEC East is a step down, Uh, despite what Kirby Smart's building at Georgia right now. It's still not a very, I mean, Florida is open for the second time in how many years? Uh, Obviously, it's been down for the last few years, because not winning the East was part of what got Butch fired. And he's kind of rebuilt this roster and added some athletes. So it's ready to kind of step in and, and, and not be a huge rebuilding project for the first time in a decade. Uh It's just a matter of finding the right guy to do it. And I don't think Dan Mullen would be the worst. In the world, though. Uh, he wouldn't be the most exciting hire in the world. I don't think.
0: Yeah. It's just, what's weird is that there's just no groundswell of support for anyone whose name isn't John Gruden. And that's what's kind of complicating this whole mess. And that's why I think Tennessee, you know, you got to do what you got to do, and it takes however much time it takes. But you know, Tennessee sort of needs a resolution on this pretty quickly. and And if what that we reported is right, and obviously we believe it's right or we would not have reported it, that's not how we do things at go twenty four seven. But it, it seems to me like, They need that needs to be true. They really, really need that sort of resolution. And if they get him, great. And if not, they got to go somewhere else and they got to kind of start rallying the troops around whoever they get.
1: And I mean, credit credit Curry for putting Tennessee in this position. Not only that, but also, you know, having the stones to say we got to know by this date uh, or we're moving on because obviously this is, as we've talked about since Sunday, our, our territory with this, this early signing period coming up uh, late December. you gotta, you got to look sticking. this. There's a shelf life on this coaching search. you got to get somebody in the door, and you got to get somebody working on what's next. I mean, that, first of all, kudos to John Curry for making John Gruden say no. And if he does say no, uh, kudos again for making it in a timely manner, putting a deadline on it, and saying we can't let you – uh, uh toy with us anymore we got to move one direction or the other
0: yeah and i think you know in that call i wrote you know earlier this week i said that you know if you end up with a six or seven or eight that's fine there's no shame in that but the only shame is if you don't go ask the tens first And, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, uh, I I joked earlier that when you look at the Govals 24-7 staff across the board pretty much uh, with all our wives slash fiancées, none of us, you know, we didn't start, you know, we didn't have to settle there. We we did better because than we should have because we went and asked, you know, and and that's the only way that that you – can give yourself a chance is if you know if you go out there be as shameless as possible Tennessee go out there and and go to some of these big time coaches throw a bunch of money at them put a blank check on the table let Jim Haslam say hey whatever y'all want we're gonna we're gonna make this happen and if they say no okay that's cool no big deal then go to the next one and, and you might get laughed at ten or fifteen times eventually you're gonna you're gonna end up with with a winner. But you got yeah, you got to start that direction. You, you don't start, you know, you go like they did last time with the whole Butch Jones thing. They knew they could have Butch Jones. They went and tried with others, but they at the end of the day, they went back and kind of settled on Butch Jones. And if you're Tennessee, you kind of set a line somewhere. You kind of draw a line in the sand, and then you go, you don't go past that line. You start as high as you can, and there's a line that you don't go below. And I think that's sort of the way I would handle these situations.
1: And if you're Curry, if you do get turned down from Gruden uh, by Gruden, it's certainly not the end of the world. You get credit just for uh, taking that stab. Uh, but from there, uh, as as stealth as Curry likes to be, and, and close to the vest, and you know his inner circle is is tiny, and and they don't talk a lot. Uh, you better be mega stealth moving forward because you don't need to be publicly turned down by Dan Mullen. You don't need to be publicly turned down by Gary Patterson or or whoever the next guy is, Scott Frost, Chip Kelly. I mean, you know all the names that are out there. Jimbo Fisher. Uh, you don't need to go down that road where you're getting publicly turned down. You need to keep things uh, even more under wraps moving forward. But uh, maybe they do need Gruden to, if it, if the answer is no, maybe they do need Gruden to come out with the, his own statement or something saying, you know, he loves Tennessee, loves the Vols, all that stuff, but it's just his, his interest are in the NFL or he's happy where he's at, whatever. There just needs to be some kind of public acknowledge, acknowledgement from one side or the other that, hey, we went down this road. It didn't work out. We moved on.
0: And, you know, w- we will keep discussing all of this stuff with the coaching search because that's obviously obviously number one with a bullet right now on, on all of our plates. You know, uh, that, that's that's what we're being paid to do right now is to go do that, and we're going to keep bringing you all the information we can. We're going to have a, a new hot board up possibly by the time that – That this podcast is uploaded, but if not, shortly thereafter. And we'll kind of get
1: to work, Patrick Brown. Yeah,
0: hurry up, PB. What are you doing? You know, come on, Pat. But, you know, if, you know, we're going to keep following this thing, it'll it'll take twists and turns, and y'all will get your head spinning at times and say, oh, well, who's got the information that's right or wrong or whatever. All I can tell you is this we we are extremely careful with every word that we say pretty much during a coaching surge and anything that we throw out there. Uh, we will have it right or we won't throw it out there because we, you know, there's so many people out there who are in a rush to do things, you know, the first all the time. And that's great. Yeah. We try to be first too. We win some, we lose some, but we're going to only report what we can legitimately accurately report. And we'll keep doing that. And we'll keep bringing all the rest of that information to you before we move on to hoop screen. Is there anything else with this search that, you know, you think we need to throw out there for the freeloaders? Cause there's some good stuff that, that only the people on the side are going to get, but, uh, Uh, At GoVault247.com, seven-day trial for free, the best place for Tennessee news. But uh, is there anything else we can give these freeloaders before we move on to hoops?
1: Uh, Please, John Curry, if you're listening in this thing already, please give us our lives back. Uh, Let's go back to having families and uh, normal personal time. Uh, What's crazy, this coaching search is so bananas that LSU is coming to Neyland Stadium for a November night game and nobody said the first word about it except for Brady Hoke and I don't think anybody's listening.
0: Yeah, and we 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 did a uh, like we haven't done a better know a foe this week because no one cares. <laughs> better know a coaching search. Yeah, that's what it is. Every day is the better know a coaching search update. You know, we're trying to to keep a lot of our weekly features the same, but and, and we're trying to give respect to the fact that there are some football players out there who are seniors at Tennessee who are, are they they'd like to play three more games instead of two. You know, they've given their heart, sweat, blood, tears to this program over the past four or five years, or I guess a couple of years with the JUCO guys and. They don't want to go out this way. They've they've gone consistently a little better each season they've been here, and they don't want to go out losers. And you know we we want to respect that, and we want to cover those games and give it the respect it deserves, and, and we will, I'm sure, in the very narrow context of Saturday before and during and after the game. But the big thing right now, obviously, is the future of the program because this is a four and six football team, and. There's not you know I mean LSU's coming to town and Ed Orgeron's return to Knoxville so there's a lot of interesting things going on but uh, and Brady Hoke
1: is the head coach of the University of Tennessee my never God stops sounding weird
0: five years ago if you had said that you'd be like, oh my God, Tennessee won the lottery yeah you know it's funny how how these things can can move so quickly but you know before we get before we get out of here we will go back to touch on the uh, the thing that Grant and I like covering more than we like covering. Uh, football anyway, which is basketball. Tennessee is off to a pretty pretty good start. I think anytime you've had what what a 28-0 run and a 32-0 run in your first couple of games, uh, you've done some things. Tennessee has uh, whooped up on a couple of opponents, uh, played pretty good defense at least for the first halves of these games. Uh, and I think things are looking pretty good. There's more depth here, there's more talent here. They're they're doing a lot of things well that um, maybe could make them a contender. We'll see, but I know that, that we won't know everything by this time next week, but we will know a heck of a lot more by this time next week, won't we?
1: Yeah, and here's the thing with these buy games uh, where, where you're paying the opponent to come play you, uh, Presbyterian and High Point, they are the worst teams on Tennessee's basketball schedule. Uh, and it's kind of a lose-lose situation because if you beat their brains out like Tennessee has, I mean, it was 46-14 at halftime, against Presbyterian on Friday, if it was 52-13, to 13, you just kind of get talked down to because you're playing a bad team, uh, that you should be beating by that much. If you don't beat a team by that much, then uh, there are complaints that you're not beating this team by enough. So Tennessee has taken care of business, done everything they need to do in those two games, have been really impressive defensively, which is a, a big step forward for them. And their reward uh, on Wednesday in the Bahamas is, uh, I think at last check, number 19, Purdue, which has one of the best motion offenses in college basketball. Uh, extremely experienced starting five uh, that can give people fits. So huge test for Tennessee. If if they lose that, they'll probably get Western Kentucky the next day. That's another good test. And then you'll see who you draw on day three and go from there. But, yeah, and it, and it sets up for a crazy December. Uh, you have – uh, Wake Forest isn't as good as maybe people thought at the beginning of the year. They've lost two games at home already, uh, two of those by games. You have North Carolina at home, which will be a huge day at Thompson Bowling Arena. Uh, Georgia Tech on the road should have won down there two years ago. Maybe they can do so this year. And then even the the bad teams, quote-unquote, the, the lower teams on the schedule in December are the likes of Lipscomb and uh, Mercer and Furman. Those are not
0: uh, Mercer just beat mid-major
1: them. programs to mess around with. It's going to be... Yeah, I mean, once December 30th rolls around and they're starting SEC play at Arkansas, uh, you're going to know a lot about what this Tennessee team's about because they have absolutely uh, challenged themselves with this schedule.
0: You know, and and I'll throw this in too. I think that, you know, Division I basketball, it's not like Division I football. There are a lot of teams at the lower levels of Division I who can go and beat you know, those kind of power conference teams. And it's pretty simple to understand why. you got 13 scholarships as opposed to 85. So it sort of, you know, makes things more interesting for everyone. Uh, And you get more good players going to smaller places. Um, And and guys develop, you know, different physically. And maybe a shooter gets overlooked. There's all sorts of things that can happen in college basketball. And my point is this. That team, that high point team that Tennessee was up, what was it? What was it, 52 to 14 or 53? What, What was the score at halftime? Do you remember? I mean, it was 52 to 13. Yeah, 52 to 13. That team that scored 13 points against Tennessee uh, in Thompson Bowling Arena just a few days before that had played William & Mary, which is a decent Division One program, and scored 100 points on them, beat them 100-66. to 66. You know, th- that team went from scoring 100 points in a game to 12 points in the next half at Thompson Bowling Arena. This Tennessee team, th- that that's impressive to me. That stuff matters. You know, Rick Barnes has said all throughout the offseason, what did he want? He wanted a little more strength uh, with some of those guys in the post. He wanted a little more experience. You know, a little more poise with the backcourt, and he's gotten that. Uh, it looks like he's gotten that anyway. He's addressed it with a couple of guys who are going to help this team. And he also wanted the defense to be a lot better. He wanted the defense to take a big step forward. And, you know, he, he said – he joked beforehand that their zone offense might not be good early in the season because all they've done in the offseason is worked on their man-to-man defense and their mentality and their toughness on that end of the floor – and you know what? I, I think you're seeing some of the results of that. I watch the way they're rotating defensively. I watch the way that they're they're providing help defense, and it looks like they're following scouting reports. It looks like they're swarming. Uh, they have the bodies to play 94 feet if they want to and, and go kind of a real pressed man up in your face. Uh, and guys can play like a hockey team and, and go just a couple minutes and then then get a breather for a minute. They've got the bodies to do that now, and and it looks to me like – You know, when you talk about the things he wanted to address in the offseason, it looks like they've done a pretty good job addressing those things.
1: Yeah, the most obvious change is that 94 feet of man-to-man defense. Uh, It's really a lot harder on the guards than it is anybody else because they're the ones in the full court doing the work. Uh, But they seem extremely bought into it. Uh, I think they really do go into a game emphasizing, let's try to get three or four stops consecutively. And go from there, and let the offense take care of itself. They really do, I think, want to be a defensive-minded team first, and obviously it showed. I mean, they had a uh, twenty-eight nothing run against Presbyterian. They had a thirty-two nothing run against High Point. Both of those in the first half. I mean, that's crazy.
0: No matter who you're playing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you are playing other college basketball players, even if it's not Division One, the highest highest you know Power Five conference kind of team. Uh, It's it's another college team that that. You know, scoring is is not really that hard in basketball. No. Um, to to reel off twenty eight straight and thirty two straight in consecutive games is crazy. And then the other thing is on offense, I don't think they really care who scores. They know they have the options—more uh, people to take shots, more people to score. Uh, like Lamonte Turner, he didn't have a single point against Presbyterian, uh, and then he comes out and I think he had sixteen and seventeen minutes against High Point. And you talk to him after the game, and he's like, man, it doesn't matter. We have so many different scoring options. If it's not me one night, it can be somebody else that night, and I'll take it over the next night, whatever. It doesn't matter. All they care about is uh, kind of trying to uh, impose their will defensively, uh, and and they will play to exhaustion for two or three minutes. That's what Barnes emphasizes, play to exhaustion for two or three minutes, and then we'll get somebody in there for you. Uh, Obviously, they're deeper. They're more athletic, but. It seems like they're a year older, a year better, and a year more mature because they're buying into the things that Rick Barnes has tried to have been selling them for the last couple seasons.
0: And Lamonte Turner goes out there and puts up 11 shots in 17 minutes, including a couple of big three-pointers. And if he had just added a couple of really stupid turnovers, that would have been peak Lamonte Turner. We almost got peak Lamonte Turner in that game. If he had just done a couple of really dumb things, then that would have completed the whole thing. But, you know, I think when you talk about That whole thing about them not caring who scores, I think that's very, very true. I also think we all know that's a lot easier to do when you're winning As long as you're winning, people, you know, will will accept more things. You know, it's like a wide receiver in football. If he's not getting enough catches, if the team's winning, that's okay. The Bama receivers don't complain too much, you know, even though that's a run-heavy offense. Uh, In basketball, if you're winning, sure, it's fine. Uh, If the team starts losing, then all of a sudden you get guys saying, well, we're losing because I'm not getting my shots and I could put the ball in the hole and I could do these things. And then you have some issues. But one thing I really, really like – with this bunch, um, I and I, I've written about him a couple times already, so it's probably not going to surprise anyone who's been reading Govals twenty four um, seven. But I really like James Daniel the uh, Third, the senior guard, uh, graduate transfer from Howard. This is a guy who uh, led college basketball in scoring two years ago. He put up nineteen point four shots per game his final season at Howard. Nineteen point four shots per game and scored twenty seven point one points per game. This guy has taken, like, six shots total in his first two games at Tennessee. And he's got 10 assists and zero turnovers in the last game. And and this guy, it seems to me like he is going to be pushing Jordan Bone all season long, and I think that's really good for Tennessee because Jordan Bone is a guy who, if he's locked in, is a really, really, really good point guard, one of the best athletes probably playing the point guard position in college basketball. And if you can get a guy like Daniel pushing – a guy like Bone, I think you're going to like the results. I think that's going to be kind of an iron sharpens iron thing.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, look at the stat line. Ten assists the other night for James Daniel. Uh, That's not a career high for him. He said that's probably the first time it's ever happened in his basketball life. Yep. Um, And he, what did you say, averaged 19 shots his last year at Howard? Yeah, 19.4, yeah. And he's had how many this year in two games?
0: Like six.
1: Yeah, like five or six. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good kind of microcosm of of what they're trying to get out of this team is is just find guys to fill that role and and kudos to him for being that facilitator and and not being a guy that has to have the offense go through him. But you're exactly right. We can sit here and say uh, a bunch of good stuff about this basketball team, but wait till the adversity hits uh, the first half or the second half against Purdue, uh, see how they respond to that. Whatever happens that game, see how they respond the next game. The three games in three days is obviously a big test, especially when you start with Purdue uh, so we'll see what, when it does, stuff does start going wrong, how does this team respond? That'll be a, a pretty big answer for for what this team looks like uh, moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people can, I think it's hard to fully appreciate just how much different James Daniels' game is right now from what it was. You're talking about a guy who his entire basketball career has pretty much said, I'm open as soon as I step in the gym. And a guy who has taken shots and made shots and not been afraid—he not just 19.4 shots a game. It was something like eight or nine three-point attempts per game. I mean, this guy would would step out there and YOLO it. He doesn't care. And, and got
1: to the foul line a ton. Yes,
0: and, and now like,
1: like eight like 800 times in his three years,
0: 800 times. Yeah, and I talked to Lamonte about this, and I said, Lamonte, you know, could you imagine having to change your game that quickly? And he basically just kind of laughed and went, Nope, no way. He goes, I don't know how I could do it. I don't know how anybody could do it. He said, but when James Daniel came to Tennessee, he was picking Tennessee or Ohio State or DePaul. And it's weird. It's like which one of these is not like the others. But uh, DePaul used to be good, and it's in a great town. But, you know, come on, let's be honest. And he he basically goes to Tennessee, and on his visit he says, I don't care if I score. I just want to win. And and Coach Barnes, if you tell me we can win, I'm going to come here. And Rick Barnes was completely honest with him, like he always is, said he wouldn't guarantee him anything. He wouldn't promise him playing time. He wouldn't promise him a starting spot. But he would go there and get a chance. And if he earned it, he he could have it. But he was just very direct with him. And I think Tennessee was surprised they even got him because of that. But he was honest, it seems, when he came in and said, I've scored a ton of points, guys. I could have stayed at Howard and scored a bunch more. I just want to win. And a guy who steps into a locker room like that, I think gets respect from day one.
1: Yeah, they were they were most definitely surprised they got him. Uh, I don't think they thought they were getting him the night before uh, his his announcement was scheduled. But him picking Tennessee and him coming here, uh, that doubles down on the fact that he only wanted to win. He picked the best situation in terms of winning. Uh, he he dodged a bullet at Ohio State because Thad Motto was out not too long after yeah. he picked Tennessee. Uh, but still, he doubles down and, and says, yeah, I want to win, and he picks Tennessee, and now he comes here and threw two games. Uh, he's as unselfish, uh, more unselfish than anybody on the roster, there's no doubt about it, because he's completely changed his game. And, and and he's just kind of one piece to the puzzle. I mean, Derek Walker's uh, a lot better than what he's shown in these first two games. A lot think, better, yeah. I think Tennessee knows that, and they're trying to get that out of him, and, and Rick Barnes is doing his button-pushing stuff. Uh, I think Fulkerson is still uh, getting the rust off. I'm, I'm kind of surprised uh, how ahead of schedule he seems. I didn't know uh, he would be healthy and ready for the exhibition games like he was, that's a good sign. I think Hughes ponds can do more than, than what he's done for them. I think he can play defense. I think he can rebound and, and alter shots and block shots. So there's a lot of different pieces that can be added to this, this thing moving forward that haven't even really kind of been seen yet. But uh, like we said, it all comes with the, the grain of salt that they haven't really faced any adversity yet, hadn't had any tough times. Uh, let's see how they respond then because obviously those tough times are are coming down the pike with this schedule.
0: Yeah, life comes at you pretty fast when you start playing teams like Purdue. You know, it uh, it tends to change some things. But, yeah, like you said, Grant, before we get out of here, I'll say that that I think, you know, when you look at at the fact that Fulkerson still is knocking off some Russ Ponds didn't even play in the last game because he is they're just trying to get his his ankle healthy you know he, you've got you know Jalen Johnsons still a guy who could maybe add some things he was the highest ranked recruit in the class two years ago he's a guy who is coming back from that shin surgery and and you know isn't really a hundred percent yet and Fulkerson's working his way back you got, you got a lot of things going on in this team that, that could they could even play better uh, that you know it's like a Lamont Turner told me the other day that you know they could legitimately throw out three teams, three full teams worth of guys at practice just about every day. And those are three pretty good teams. And that is something Tennessee has not had in a long time. I can't remember. Um, you know, Rick, Rick Barnes said that 10 to 11 guys could start on this team. I don't know that I've, that I've seen that at Tennessee. Now, I've seen some teams that were probably better than this one, but I've never seen a team that could legitimately have, like, 11 different guys start. I don't think I've ever seen that. So – you know, if they keep their egos in check and kind of keep rowing in the same direction, I think this team could could be could be pretty good. I think it's not going to be the thirteenth best team in the SEC. I know that.
1: No, it's not. And and if it is, like we've been said, the SEC is uh, by far and away the uh, the the best basketball conference in the in the country. But I mean, yeah, the, let's see how this death plays out. They obviously uh, entering your third season. You haven't been to the tournament or the NIT either. Your first two. So you need to take that next step forward. And it looks like they have the, the pieces in place uh, to potentially take that step. Now they just have to take that step. You have to do your business or you got to get off the pot, as Dolly Parton said. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, a couple people asked about East Pond's ankle. I don't think it's anything serious. I don't think it's a chronic issue, even though he dealt with some ankle stuff last year at NSEP in, in France. And uh, real quick on Anthony Simmons or Simons, however you yep. say it. I don't, I don't know. There's there's only one M in his last name. He is getting crystal balls in Tennessee. He's a five-star guard. How about combo guard in, the, yeah. in the 2018 class, the number 12 overall player in the class, number one combo guard in the class, the number four or five, something like that player out of Florida in 2018, uh, took me by complete surprise. I had no idea they were even making momentum there. I thought that was all Florida. But maybe it happens. I mean, he's got two crystal balls from two guys that know what they're doing uh, in the 247 basketball recruiting circles. So uh, if that happens, that could be a game changer for this program moving forward based on the pieces they do have in place and how he could step in and be a contributor uh, from day one. So we'll see what happens. It's uh, There's a lot of interesting stuff going on right now.
0: Yeah, and I never, you know, I, I don't pay uh, quite as much attention to basketball recruiting as I used to, you know, back when... It was just me and Ryan, we, Callahan, we had to do everything kind of all the time. And so you were kind of plugged in everywhere. And now. And you had to stay busy
1: to get away from Ryan.
0: Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like, hey, uh, if I, I'm sorry, I can't talk. I'm talking to this basketball prospect. He's really good. Uh, So I don't have to, I don't follow this stuff quite as intensely as I used to. But the last that I had heard about him was all Florida. That was, I mean, it was almost like, yeah, Tennessee was in there a little bit early, but yeah, that one's looking Gators all the way. So. Something's obviously changed there, and we're going to keep staying on that and because and, maybe that's going to be an interesting development for Tennessee like, now.
1: When I approached people asking about not not Tennessee people, outsiders uh, in the recruiting circles, hey, is Tennessee getting in on this kid? It was like almost got kind of laughed out of the room. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, no, this is all Florida. Because, I mean, if, he, if people don't know, he is a Louisville, former Louisville commit, a cast off after all the FBI scandal stuff up there, and, yes. and Patino losing his job, and as soon as he was gone, it felt like it was all. All Florida from there. Obviously, he's at he's at IMG Academy in Bradenton, so it made sense. But yeah, uh, but they they have been here before in terms of offering these five star kids and going after them. Uh, it's one thing to do that; it's another thing uh, to get a, a signed in OI and get them on campus. So we'll see where it goes from here. But it is it's positive momentum uh, that they badly need. They just need to close it from here.
0: Sounds like a pretty good place to end it. There, we'll end it with a compliment sandwich. So we'll we'll start with uh, start with Gruden, and then we'll talk about oh maybe some things aren't as great. And then uh, boom! Well, hey, Tennessee's talking to a five star basketball kid. So you know, hey, we'll 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 do that. Grant, is there anything else that um, that that you need to add before we get out of here?
1: Uh, John Gruden, uh, John Curry. I'm sorry if you're still listening. Please <laughs> end this coaching search, John Gruden. If you're listening, say something. Say something of meaning. Don't tiptoe around the answer.
0: Yeah, think of the children, John Curry. You know. Think of
1: my children
0: that want to see their father again. That's true. Someone's going to have to raise them. They they,
1: they actually be a blessing in disguise for them
0: not to be around me any more than they have to be. It's probably a good point. I shouldn't say that way. Come on, you're 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 not, you're not doing yourself enough justice there, guys. Thanks for uh, for tuning in. We'll definitely have another podcast or two before the Thanksgiving uh, holiday. But but for those who are getting out of town early for that, safe travels. Uh, enjoy the. Enjoy the holiday. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the time that you get to spend together. And uh, enjoy covering uh, watching this Tennessee coaching search on 24-7 Sports, specifically goballs 247com We'll see you all next week.